0: Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information,
1: visit www.nhsemployers.org. Brexit negotiations are underway and the challenges facing the health sector are clear.
2: We recognise that the, the changes coming as a result of Brexit were so profound that it it was beholden upon us to represent our organisations, to represent our members and employees, that um, actually we had to kind of up our game and speak
3: with one voice. There's there's absolute unanimity in the industry that any divergence from the European regulatory system would not be helpful. So mutual recognition will be massively important.
4: We're very lucky in the UK to have a great concentration of brilliant minds and also really good facilities and a great infrastructure and regulatory frameworks that support research. So it's crucial to us that in the Brexit negotiations, we make sure that we end up with a solution that allows brilliant people to come and to work here. Hello, I am
1: Elisabetta Zanon from the NHS European Office and in this podcast we will be speaking with two new alliances working to represent the interest of the health and care sector. Richard Phillips of the Association of British Healthcare Industries tells us about the expectations of the medical devices sector. And with UK participation in European research frameworks at stake. We hear from the Wellcome Trust about concerns over future collaboration in European research projects. But we will start with the Cavendish Coalition, formed in the aftermath of the EU referendum to represent workforce interests. Kate Ling spoke to Danny Mortimer, Chief Executive of NHS Employer and Co-Convener of the Coalition and started by asking him about the difference the coalition is making to the way the sector is presenting its case.
2: We're speaking with one voice. I think perhaps in the past the sector in its broadest sense, social care and health, hasn't managed to to do that. I think the second thing is we've, we've set a set of shared priorities and I think the really important thing is that those are priorities that kind of stretch across the four countries. Um, that stretch across both the private and statutory and charitable provision of of services. Um, It's a really broad and deep coalition, but actually we've we've got a very clear set of joint priorities. And the third thing is that we've we've commissioned joint work. We're working together to develop uh, policy statements um, that we've already uh, used um, as evidence uh, for the various parliamentary inquiries there have been into, into Brexit. Uh, both in the House of Commons and the House of Lords, Uh, but we're also commissioning other work Um, and I think we always anticipated that the government would ask uh, the Migration Advisory Committee to look at immigration policy in particular Uh, and we've been working for a long time now to make sure that we can have a jointly commissioned uh, piece of work, piece of evidence that informs what we say to MAC about what our sector will need uh, going forward.
0: Danny, now the Brexit Health Alliance has been launched recently, Uh, can you tell us how it differs from the Cavendish Coalition? How are the two alliances different and how do you envisage them working together?
2: Our focus in the Cavendish Coalition has always been about workforce. It's about the the kind of several million people who work uh, in social care and health um, across the United Kingdom. We, uh, yes, we're interested in the staff who work in research, but we, we don't have a, a, a kind of focus on the whole kind of research infrastructure. We, we don't have a focus on pharmaceuticals and technology. What, what, what both groups have to make sure is that, is that they you know, they represent their, their kind of core purpose and their, their core mission, and, and um, you know, unapologetically, the coalition, the Cavendish coalition, is, is very focused on workforce implications and very unapologetically, um, the Health Alliance is, is focused on some of the broader kind of technical, technological um, uh, kind of issues that, that flow from, from Brexit. But, but there'll be there'll be great opportunities for us to work together.
0: One of the things that uh, the Cavendish Coalition is undertaking is a quarterly EU workforce survey. And you've just announced the results of the most recent survey. Can you give us an insight into what it's showing?
2: What the surveys are showing is that I think there's a, there's a, a decreasing... Willingness from employers to go and recruit in in Europe, and I think that's because they they still don't, they can't sufficiently address the questions around certainty for potential applicants, and and that's whilst we're further forward than we were, we still haven't finished that conversation, that agreement with the EU twenty seven about the certainty that we all want for their citizens when we leave the European Union. Um, so that that you know that 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 comes through loud and clear. I think the second thing is that. We need to increase the response rate. You know, th- th- this is a key influencing tool for us. It's a, it's a key um, opportunity for the for the coalition to kind of um, let, particularly the government know what's actually happening in our sector in relation to to both turnover, leavers, I mean, people leaving the NHS um, and health and social care um, because they're returning to their country of origin, or reduced recruitment. So. Um, the more help people can give us to do that, um, the better, frankly. Um, and, we're, and we're really keen to have as many organisations as possible help us with the, with the survey.
1: If you'd like to find out more about the work of the Cavendish Coalition, you can visit wwwnhsemployersorg slash Cavendish Coalition. Now one of the main areas at risk post-Brexit is continued UK participation in UK health research projects. Sarah Cullen visited the Wellcome Trust to discuss the implications for UK researchers.
0: I've come here to London today to meet with Beth Thompson from the Wellcome Trust. She's the, one of their senior policy managers. And I've come to talk to her about Brexit and the implications for medical or health research.
4: There are three main areas that we're focused on in terms of the impact that Brexit will have on medical research. People and migration is clearly a key issue within the Brexit debate, and it's vital for research that researchers can collaborate and that we can attract brilliant scientists wherever they're from into the UK. So it's crucial to us that in the Brexit negotiations, we make sure. Um, that we end up with a solution that allows brilliant people to come and to work here. In terms of regulation, at the moment in the UK we have some law that flows from the EU, things like the clinical trials regulation and on data privacy, but we also have law that stems from the UK on things like the use of embryos in research. And we're actually very fortunate in the UK that we've worked out a very pragmatic proportionate approach to regulation that enables us to do fantastic medical research that is really groundbreaking. Following Brexit, we'll need to think really carefully about how we align our regulatory frameworks with the EU. Fragmentation of of the rules under which research is conducted, so whether it's for clinical trials or whether it's in data privacy, might make it harder for researchers to, to undertake their studies. So a researcher who wants to conduct a clinical trial would have to may have to comply with one set of rules in the UK and one set of rules um, if they're also running parts of the trial in the EU. This could make it really cumbersome and very bureaucratic and that might add time and challenge. And we think it's really important that researchers in the UK can stick with a similar set of rules that they're um, in the EU so that we have just one one legal framework that researchers can use um, for their clinical trials. In terms of research funding, At the moment researchers in the UK do really well out of the EU research funding streams. We need to think really carefully as the UK about how we make sure that we don't lose that supply of funding following Brexit um, and we'll work with the government to look at ways that they can do that. EU funding is important for the money itself but it's also really important because it promotes collaboration between researchers and it's also Um, highly prestigious so it brings a lot to the UK aside from just the financial the financial implications so we would want the government to consider alternatives to EU funding if we need to that also have that prestige associated with them and promote the international collaboration that's really vital for global science. And do you think there are some opportunities coming from Brexit? It's good to see that the government are capitalising on the opportunity of Brexit to think strategically about the life sciences sector and how they can promote it. There will be some things that specifically relate to Brexit, um, that we might, opportunities that we might be able to pick up, but there may, um, there may also be opportunities that we, we could have taken up before Brexit um, that now there's more momentum to do so. So it's really important that the government uses the whole suite of tools available to it to promote life sciences research. In regulation, we think there may be some opportunities following Brexit to make sure that the UK law works optimally. We don't want to um, affect patient safety in something like clinical trials, but there might be ways to maintain patient safety while facilitating a more flexible, pragmatic framework that that works more simply than the current clinical trials rules.
1: The medical-technical industries are one of the areas where Britain has done well in Europe. But with uncertainty over the future regulatory framework for the sector, I spoke to Richard Phillips at the Association of British Healthcare Industries and asked him about their approach to Brexit and where opportunities may lie in the future.
3: We took the view from sort of day one, to from the 24th of June, 24th of June, what we would do is really try and look at the uh, the positives and the opportunities on the assumption we were going to leave. So we, we started to uh, uh, work over the summer, speaking to our members and other people about what. We thought might be uh, might be important, and we, we produced a document called "Healthy Outside the EU," which more from a four or five-point Brexit manifesto to quite a substantive document with 36 uh, different recommendations in them. It's broadly around uh, five themes. Some of them are generic. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a theme about access to trade and uh, being able to move goods around. Many goods that are manufactured in the UK, virtually all goods that are manufactured in the UK, rely at least in part on ingredients and raw materials that are sourced from other countries. Um, and they're then moved around at various places of their process, uh, manufacturing, sterilisation and distribution. So it's not uncommon for a, a British-made product uh, to have touched half a dozen other jurisdictions uh, for example, the, um, the the biggest supplier of needles and shrin- and tubes for blood collection manufactures uh, very very high volumes in Plymouth. Um, product product the, the the raw materials are sourced from multiple jurisdictions. And once the products are, are manufactured and sterilised, they're sent by road to Belgium, where they're distributed throughout Europe, including back into the UK. So uh, it's important that, that we keep those aspects in mind. So if it becomes difficult to move things around jurisdictions, that's likely to be a problem. There's, ma- there's absolute unanimity in the industry that any divergence uh, from the European regulatory system would not be helpful. It, it's quite straightforward. If you if we have a sovereign... Um, regulatory system for market approval of medical devices that has no utility in other jurisdictions. It's just another hurdle. It's just another um, regulatory barrier that people have to get through. So mutual recognition will be massively important. And if we can do that, um, CMR, for example, is recognized in multiple jurisdictions uh, around the world. If we can have some form of uh, mutual recognition, then um, the UK, I think, can um, actually maintain its uh, priority as a market, but also there are, there are opportunities for us if um, we should all be very proud of the uh, our regulator, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Authority. They are regarded by just about everybody as the preeminence. Um, regulator in med- medical devices, certainly anywhere in the world, uh, notified bodies, people like BSI, are or world-class organisations. People like to do their do their regulatory work in the UK. So I think if we're fleet-footed, if we continue that offer, um, and we have access to a good local market, and uh, then um, then I think the UK has an opportunity there to attract uh, investment in.
1: At the ZS NHS Confederation annual conference in Liverpool, the establishment of the Brexit Health Alliance was announced. The NHS Confederation and the NHS European Office took the initiative to set up this new group to ensure that the health sector will speak with a coordinated and stronger voice in the Brexit debate. Sarah Cullen asked Sir Hugh Taylor, former Permanent Secretary at the Department of Health, and co-chair of the Brexit Health Alliance about the purpose of the Alliance and how it will ensure that the wider health sector concerns are heard by government.
5: We brought the Brexit Health Alliance together because we want to um, support the process of thinking through the implications of the proposal to leave the European Union from a health perspective. And we're bringing together Organisations representing the people who use our health services, the patients, the families, other service users, uh, organisations that provide health services, uh, who uh, commission and pay for them and organisations who who support the system whether it's in industry or research or other key areas like that and we're bringing together an alliance of those people uh, to help uh, our government and European Union too to think through the implications of Brexit.
0: And what are the main, main areas of work for the this new alliance?
5: We're focusing uh, in this alliance primarily on areas such as research and innovation, on population health more generally, about reciprocal healthcare arrangements uh, affecting uh, people both uh, UK citizens and citizens of the European Union. Um, Uh, And, uh, if you like, the wider regulatory uh, system which governs so much of the way healthcare uh, is provided both in this country and in Europe.
0: And what do you think will be amongst the first priorities of this uh, new alliance?
5: Well I think a key priority is to ensure that the UK government has got some clear evidence and briefing as it moves into its discussions uh, uh, on, on Brexit. I think very high on the agenda is the need to ensure that the UK, its patients in particular, continue to benefit from the kind of collaboration and cooperation that we've experienced uh, in Europe on health research in particular but also uh, regulation as well which protects so much of uh, the services that we provide.
0: And with so many sectors lobbying our government or the UK government and, and keen to achieve positive outcomes in terms of the Brexit deal, how, how, can the, how do you think the Alliance can give it the, put across the strongest possible case?
5: Well I think it is very important that we come together. Um, the UK health economy represents nearly 10% of our GDP uh health care affects the lives of every citizen in this country and in europe um, uh, that's been run in a very interconnected way with europe uh, uh, over the last 40 years and although much of the arrangements in our country are self-determining there are now significant areas across europe where they come together so i think health is something we all live with and understand and i think I hope we don't need to stress this as a priority to government uh, but clearly we do need to be persuaded ourselves and assured and to be able to assure the public that the government is thinking through the implications of Brexit for health in the UK.
1: Now that negotiations are finally underway, the NHS European Office will be monitoring developments closely and will bring you insights into the key developments that may affect the health and care sector. To keep up to date with the issues, subscribe to our Brexit bulletin. Visit our web resources at www.nhsconfed.org NHS and Brexit and follow us on Twitter at nhsconfed underscore eu. Until next time, I am Elisabeth Zanon from the NHS European Office and thank you for listening.